0: and chosen today, and uh, Jack, your prayers have been answered. Hell is freezing over, I hear. Well, it took a while. (laughs) Shall we pray? Living Lord Jesus, we thank you that no matter how cold, no matter how bitter it is in terms of weather, that you are constant, and we pray again this week that your word that you inspired thousands of years ago would be again inspired today, both here and in the service that follows, and that we would be inspired to hear it, to meditate on it, to think on it, and most of all to apply it. So Holy Spirit, we know that you superintended your word and we ask that you would continue to do that this very day in and through us. Heavenly Father, we pray these things to your glory and the power of your Holy Spirit, the name of your Holy Son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right, come on in. And uh, I, I, I can't tell you... What a blessing you are to me today because I didn't know if we'd have anybody. <laughs> so I really thank you so much that you came in spite of the fact that I'm here. Uh, we, we are going to persevere a little bit. I want us to start with just some discussion around the table, turn to somebody <coughs> close to you. And I've got a couple questions for you to after you've introduced yourselves. Pick up on any of these questions. How many sermons can you remember today? And then and I want you to see if you can give us the names of the last seven preachers here. Pastors, senior pastors. There's been a lot of staff, but the pastors. Who are the last seven of this church? All right. So start there. How many sermons can you remember? And how many pastors can you remember? Go ahead. senior pastors only here. Start. We've been waiting just for you to appear. Uh, let's start out just by a show of hands. How many said that you could remember over 100 sermons?
1: <laughs> well, it depends on how you define it. remember. If you give me a little prompt, I could, I could give you 100, but it would take me the rest of
0: the day. Oh. <laughs> or maybe the rest of the week. Well, how many would say Ten or more? We've got one that says ten or more. Five or more? How about
1: it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we need a different demographic, is what we're saying. This is a demographic that's too old to remember even what we had for breakfast. Uh Uh-oh. Terry's talking about three she remembers from this for the tape's sake here, three from last summer, and four. All right, so two different pastors that spoke, two different sermons, and that we got, okay, and and it was because you said, I was really opening up the Word of God, and it was really making sense to me, because that's where it was coming from. As is evidenced by our hands, we've only got two people that think they can remember five, (laughs) And so it fits right with the theme of what we're doing here. So uh, if, if, if we get a couple jogs of our memory, we can maybe bring some of those sermons back. And you remember those that Dave was preaching about, who's our mentor and who's our Barnabas and who's our Timothy. But now think about how the second question, how many pastors can you remember? And... and That may be a positive or may be a negative, but most of the time it's positive. How how many got the last seven for this church? Anybody want to start us? We should have Dave already. You should remember our pastor. All right. And who preceded him? Okay, Carolyn and Rusty. So that's three because they were interims. Bruce Boak and Bill Jackson, I heard.
1: George.
0: George. And there's your seven. And it's we we, and if you haven't been here through all of those years, then maybe you didn't remember them, but you can remember. And when I go up, I I I fill the pulpit a lot up at Oak Hill Presbyterian Church. And Jim's father is very well remembered up there. And what he did in that and growing that church up there was really phenomenal. My I think my point is, is that sermons We may not remember, but we do remember the people who deliver them. And we remember the people that deliver a sermon into our life through a mentoring kind of relationship, don't we? And I think that's some of the things that we need to kind of keep in mind as we go through what we're talking about. Let's start by review. I know that people come different weeks. If you look at the commissioning of Barnabas on your notes there, and in chapter 13, we're going to review just a little bit by doing this, we're also going to bring some people up to speed that maybe weren't with us uh, for some of this. And we're going to think about the commissioning of Barnabas and then some of the ministry that he began to get in. And if there's two things that I want you all to remember in terms of, of kind of an overarching sense here. One is is that we have said that in terms of interpreting the Bible, how do we interpret the Bible? We allow the Bible to interpret itself. So if we have a difficult passage... We go to other passages that help us interpret that difficult passage rather than going to the world and saying, well, how would you interpret this? So the first thing about biblical interpretation is we want to say, does a Bible, what does the Bible say about this? I want to introduce you guys to some special people that have come here from Florida just for our weather. This is Daniel and Sarah, and this is little Rosie. Mary Rose, and and Daniel would be our nephew, and we think that he outpunted his coverage in marrying Sarah. That's that's a, you're in Canton, Ohio, so we have to use that term up here. And uh, you might want to talk to Sarah. She she works in the athletic department of Florida State. So they're in mourning for football. I've told them not to wear that too much, but at least they're not Gator fans. And. Uh, And Daniel is in the world of finance, and he is an ultimate, ultimate Frisbee player. All right, so we're just starting in we're on we're chapter 13 and maybe somebody could get, they could get them notes if there's not back there But the first one is let the Bible interpret itself. The second one is that we are Interpreting the narrative by the didactic remember that the narratives are these stories And not everything that Barnabas and Paul do is what we should do But maybe it is Maybe it isn't. How do we know? We apply two things. We apply the Bible. What does it say? And thus saith the Lord. And did they thus saith the Lord? And if they didn't, then maybe what they were doing wasn't uh, what they were supposed to be doing. And the other thing we apply is that when the scriptures are silent about something, then we have just logic. Does this make sense? Based upon biblical principles. Does this make sense? So this is kind of what we're doing today. We're looking at These folks and we're talking about leadership. And so what did they do? What can we learn? Okay? So we're in chapter 13 the commissioning who did the commissioning In in verse 2 who did the commissioning? God the Holy Spirit, right? He says I want you to set these two people out Leaders Are ordained of God Not by us We recognize the leadership And Through the church Right That second blank you have there Through the church God ordains through the church And through church leadership So we do have to have a role in it The balance there in keeping these two extremes in check the individual so the individual if they just go out without the church's blessing you can see the problems with that and if the institutional that means that the church does it without the leading of the Holy Spirit we can put people in place that aren't supposed to be there we saw this a lot through history when the government Said this is who the pastor of the church will be and we had all kinds of problems didn't we so we need both The individual and and the institution both working collectively So if you look at that doctrinal statement there that Jesus chose the original 12 but the church chooses all other generations of leadership and so The 12, remember Judas went out and hung himself? This is why we don't go by the narrative. Because we went by the narrative, Judas went out and hung himself. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And remember, if if you're honey-dipping for the Bible, you just open it up and you say, okay, God, I'm going to do anything you tell me to do. Judas went and hung himself. Oh, no, that can't be right. And go and do likewise. No, 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 no. And what you do, do quickly. Now, all three of those are there. And if I just am honey dipping, I can really get the wrong message, right? So in Bible interpretation is very important. So here, the 12 chose then Matthias. And you can check that out in the first chapter, verses 15 of Acts. And then the Antiochian church chose Barnabas and Paul here through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, how did they do the commissioning? obviously they listened in verse 2 to god's directive and then what did they do as the outward sign in verse thir- in verse 3 what did he do and they laid hands right so they were in a mo- mode of thinking okay god what are we doing and then they laid their hands so we do that here right mm-hmm. um, one of our very good friends studied jane was it for four years for the diaconate uh, within the Catholic tradition and we went over to his commissioning and uh, Talking to him, you know to have the bishop lay his hands on him and say this prayer and 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 this it was a very powerful moment and so This is what the church has been doing for years and Probably we get a sense because remember Antioch the church that's commissioning him. Remember they had to send Barnabas up there because maybe they were getting a little too crazy with the Holy Spirit It was probable that this was through a prophetic utterance You know the prophetic utterance that came And assuming that the whole church there had been gathered And remember they were called prophets These people were called prophets And by the way we talked about this a couple weeks ago But in verse 1 you can see those five people And knowing that Barnabas is the first one listed, meaning he was the most important. And Paul was the the fifth, meaning he was the least important of those five. But remember, it was the first church that had a multiple staff, and it was an interracial staff. We've got a man here who's, who's known by Simeon, and he's distinguished from other Simeons because of his color. And Lucius being of Cyrene. Was probably also at least Arab, if not black. You have a, a sense that even the political realm, because Menayan is in there, so it is this multicultural staff of the very first church. And it's a model for leadership for us today. All right, so now, where did the commissioning occur? It, in the church service, it's about people, it's mission oriented. It's about God, it's about worship, and these two things cannot be separated. It's in the midst of, as Jack mentioned, a time of fasting and prayer. Fasting is not an end. It's a means to an end. Now, I've watched Daniel play a little bit of Alderman frisbee. He's very fast. Fasting means that I get down the field quicker than other people. That's why it's called fasting, because we can go quicker spiritually when we're we're not spending the time eating and cleaning and cooking the food, and we can spend all of that time on spiritual discipline. So we get there fast. That's why it's called fasting. It's not that we're giving something up. Yes, we're giving something up, but it's not to give it up. It's not the end in itself. The other end is what we do it for, is to get closer to Jesus To be molded more like him because we're taking time away from those general things. So what was the commissioning? The Lord's work in general, the call to go. The call to go. And then what was the evidence of that apostleship? Well, they were missionaries. They were sent out. And it was evidenced by their supernatural power. All right, so that's just a, a little bit of a way of review that this is where Barnabas is at. That's, that's where we've been. And what I'd like to do is, is I'd like to just take some time to, to now walk through these scriptures together with you in chapter 13 and help us understand some of these. And so in your notes, I believe, you've got some basic notes about the cities and about the places, and certainly you can Google it and come up with some other things, um, but I, th- I think that that could be by way of homework. Now, Dan and I were talking, and I've, al- I've already put our, our good friend, John Guy to shame because I have been, um, I've gone through one sheet of paper already. <laughs> <laughs> and Van, do you have a note? Does do somebody, somebody hand Van the notes back there? Jim, you have a question. That's an excellent point. And just to continue to build on that, when you hear the terminology that a church is apostolic, it has in some ways uh, a different meaning in different settings, but the the original intent of that was that 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 lineage of apostolic leadership continues on. And this is what differentiates a, a tradition like this Presbyterian church from somebody who just says I'm just going to go open up my own storefront and I'm going to do it there that's not of the apostolic lineage because there's no sanctioning body and so uh, most of our our traditional um, denominations have that line that yes the person has to feel it but also the church has to verify it because it needs all of that and all of it comes from god excellent point very excellent point um okay the the mission work as i said i'm going to let you look at some of that background material that's there and i I want us just to kind of read down through we we did we did read last week i'm not going to read through verses 4 down to 12. this is Remember that now that they've started out on their missionary journey and Barnabas is in the lead and Barnabas is is now kind of turning things over to Paul. I think that I included a sheet today that gives you uh, Looks like this and if you can pull that out and you can take a look and what this is beginning to show you is how at the beginning remember Barnabas was in the lead and then it kind of shifted to them together, and then it sh- shifts to Paul. So it kind of goes from the upper left-hand corner down to the lower right-hand corner, and you begin to sh- see the shift s- in terms of our narrative about this whole idea between the person that leads it, Barnabas, then they're kind of doing it together, and then Paul kind of takes off on his own. So keep that as kind of a framework as you go forward there. Let's pick it up, and we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions, you see the difference already? We've already shifted, haven't we? Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, came to Perga, and John left them, returned to Jerusalem. We talked a little bit last week about why he left. Okay, so then they go the Sabbath day, and they went to the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioned with his hands, he began to say Now let's take a look at a couple of these verses and just see a couple of basic principles and and daniel you are to be commended because you're doing exactly here no matter what city you're in you're in church on that day and I, I heard this week from a very prominent person in our community and just said well you know that i have to do a lot of things on sunday and that's why i can't attend church i'll tell you that everywhere my wife and i are we go to church wherever we are and you get some of the most phenomenal experiences we're in New, Ze- New Zealand last year. We're in Australia. And the best one of the best things that ever one of the best services I was ever at was a service that had maybe this many people. And they were all recovering addicts. They were beach bums that were recovering. And when they served the Lord's Supper, and when they prayed to Jesus, it was not the first time they had talked to God. And I and my wife and I just sat there and said, what if we, because we were tempted to go see Pearl Harbor. And we said, we're going to go here. And what a blessing. Now, we still got to Pearl Harbor. But I think that this is a model that they model for us. So no matter where we are, if we take the time to be in worship, we will be blessed wherever we are. That's one thing that comes out of this. And the other thing is, is that you notice how The the order of the service that they bring out what the law and the prophets This is the model of which we're built upon. We have an old testament reading We have a psalm whether that's sung or read or or it's, you know Responsive reading of some sort and then we have a gospel and we have an epistle now They didn't have the gospel and epistles at that time They they took what they did and that's what our service is modeled after today so we get that this is already what they're what they're doing and it's a model for us All right now before we go on any further and rich we might want to get the tape cut off here Because we're going to talk some more around your table. I want you to come come up with Do you does anybody know or what do you think if you don't know? What's the essence of a three-point sermon? All right, come up go and talk. What's the essence of a three-point sermon? What are the three points? Okay, hey, who, who wants to try to give us? Anybody got an idea around your table? Terry does. does. Terry does. What are they? The three points of a sermon are, as one of my mentors, what is this and kind of interpret to help us more? understand. So the first point of a three-point sermon is to study the Scripture. Begin to move to the doctrine, declaring the doctrine. So, what do we? Th- all right, first of all, what does the scripture say? And then the second point of a th- three-point sermon is: What do we believe? What do we think? How is that contextualization helping us understand what we believe? And the third is: How does it apply? Where? Why? We apply the principles. Now that's now. I already talked to both uh, Dave and we have our head presbyter here who's going to be preaching today. And I said, don't take any offense if whoever's preaching today, don't take any offense if you don't have this three-point sermon. But just know that we're going to talk about it. <laughs> and and Debbie said, well, I went to Yale. I didn't go to Princeton. <laughs> and, and 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 so we we. There's not any one way to do preaching, okay? And there's homilies, and there's sermons, and there's teachings, and there's lecturing, and there's different ways to, pre- to present some of this. But let's look at this sermon now that, that Paul begins to go into. He says, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. So in other words... There are Jews, and then there are God-fearers. These are Gentiles who are part of the synagogue because they've been attracted by the Jewish people, something about their life, something about that's going on, and they're attracted to what's going on with these people. He says, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm he led them out. For 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness now he goes on and he talks about The scriptures that that they know about telling the stories of the Telling the stories about all that the scriptures had talked about All the historical books He talks about King Saul being the tribe of Benjamin. He talks about David he talks about him being the son of jesse he talks about these various things and then he comes down that out of this offspring this is verse 23 god has brought to israel a savior jesus as he promised before his coming john john the baptist had come and as john was finishing his course he, jesus said who do you suppose that i am or or, or john the baptist said who do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. So now he begins to move into what do we believe as a result of this? Family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, again, I'm, I'm preaching to, to the Jews and to, the, to those who are uh, God-fearers, People that are coming to faith but are Gentiles, those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, and it keeps going down, um, that these people found that Jesus was guilty, verse 28, they asked Pilate to have him executed. So you can see how he's blending and moving from the, the historical and, and the studying of Scripture. And now he says in verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared. And so he begins to talk about the doctrine of the resurrection. And and that this is what we believe. And now, verse 32, we bring you the good news. That he is fulfilled. And he begins to move into application. And that he says going on then, in verse 39, if you, anyone who believes, is freed from everything which you could not be freed from the law. This is doctrine moving towards application. And then he quotes a scripture. Look, you, st- you scoffers, verse 41, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells you. He's probably talking to the Jews there. Now, Terry, you're in here. Verse 42. As they went out the people begged that they might be told them the next these things might be told to them the next sabbath. They got so excited about the preaching because it was on the word of God that they came back and said we need more of this. And that's what happens when we really have the Word of God really preached that people are begging for it they 're hungry for it, and sometimes we we resent the fact that there, that there's these churches that seem to grow and grow and grow. One of the reasons often is is because of what happens in that pulpit. Now, you can see how difficult this is to talk about because I love Dave. Immensely. And I think he does a wonderful job here. This is not, it, don't hear this as any criticism of Dave whatsoever. This church is growing under his leadership. That is a sign and an evidence that what he is doing, both in the pulpit and out of the pulpit, is effective. So we cannot say, oh, well, we're, we haven't grown to 5,000 people, so his preaching must not be good. That's, that's not what I'm saying here. If there's no growth, then maybe we could be saying that. This is, what, this is the difficulty when we get into the Word of God and we just say, what is it saying to us? Because sometimes it's a mirror to us. And sometimes we don't like what we see in, the, in, that, in that mirror. Well, then maybe we should change Are there things we could do better here? Certainly There's not a church in the world I I was at Hillsong Church in Sydney, Australia last year I mean, we're talking like 50,000 people On the night that I was there On the night that I was there, they baptized over 100 people Because they're growing so fast and Hillsong churches are all around the world. They've planted churches everywhere. Now, I don't particularly care for their style of worship, but I do really admire the fact that they're calling people to Jesus and they're being baptized and they're giving public testimonies of how their faith is. And a testimony also has three parts to it What was I like before Jesus? How did Jesus get a hold of my heart? And how am I different as a result today? Any testimony. All of us should have that, what we call our faith story. If somebody said, tell me about your faith journey. This is what I was like before Jesus. This is how Jesus got a hold of me. And this is how I'm different today. It's a three-point sermon, if you will, in a different fashion. So when we go to the Bible, don't, I'm I, I'm not coming here to try to say Dave's doing a bad job or anybody's doing a bad job. I already told you, I think he's doing a good job. And I think he's getting better to be honest with you in his preaching and what he's doing because I think he cares enough that he's trying to get better and we need to be supporting him on that encouraging him every time his sermon touches our heart let's tell him about that our job is to help our leadership to get better and one of the best ways we can help him get better is to demand that he takes personal weeks off study He needs to go and do all that he needs to do to prepare the meals for us He needs to go grocery shopping. He needs to study recipes He needs to get in the kitchen and start to mix stuff up so that when he gets up there He's got food for us to eat And here's what I think is the problem with most of our churches is that we say to the pastor marry me bury me Feed me hold my hand visit me do this that and the other thing and then we wonder well I didn't get anything out of that sermon one of the main things that we can free up our pastor to do is to go and get into the Word of God themselves to bring us the word that that we need and then we need to be here every Sunday and I'm preaching to the choir I realize well the choir's never here because they're in choir but you know what I'm saying Terry you give Peter everything every week right he's not here so you've got a job to give it to Peter so we need to be here, and then we need to be praiseworthy to our pastors. Now, that doesn't mean if they're up there with heresy that we say, great job. No, Timothy talks about what we need to do in that situation. But here today, we're, we're finding out how Paul goes about this preaching. Any questions before we move on off of that? Any comments? I think it's
2: a challenge. The challenge is...
0: Yeah, you've got these people who are coming from all these different backgrounds and even though the Word of God is preached, if the Holy Spirit doesn't come and convict the hearts of the listeners and they're willing to change, what good does it do? Excellent point.
1: Yeah. You're, you're saying it's not just Dave. It's like all of you. You have it. I mean, we get it.
0: Love it. You're here, it's you're growing. studying. This yeah. Place is growing. Yeah. This is, all we have to do is do What Terry said.
2: What you just said. <laughs> this is a happy place. <laughs>
1: they come to this church. Are you kidding me?
0: This Excellent. Yeah. Are, are you excited to be here? I'm not quite sure.
2: No,
1: no I am. Are, you don't know what's outside of this place. So you I, don't know how good it is.
0: I'm not really sure what he's saying. No. But I think, I think I'm think i getting he it. <laughs> Go ahead, Terry. And all three of these comments are, I think, very similar in that and, and Dave, you walked in just at the right time because we're talking about the three-point sermon, we're talking about how Paul was doing that, and we're, we're actually identifying the fact that no matter how good you preach, if we don't come with an open heart and Kent was saying that obviously the Holy Spirit was helping people in this town, in this city, in the, on this island, that if they, if they don't hear and they're not open, doesn't matter how well you prepare or preach. Say that one more time. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the pastor of the church said amen. And But, but we have this opportunity, don't we? And, and Terry, I remember I, for a long time I, I did inner city work with Young Life and there was a group of inner city street workers, many of them former gang members, that were invited to go to, to spend some time with with a man who they were told was just phenomenal. They went down. It was down in Georgia to a town, a little, a little, little village. And they drove out, and this guy came out of the barn, took off his whatever he was had on his feet because they were splattered with you know what, and he was kind of reeking of that environment. And he came down and sat down with them. And you've got to understand, these are some of the hardest core urban guys you'd ever want to meet. And this country bumpkin sat down and can't even read the Bible. He's like stumbling over the words as he's reading it. And they're sitting there and they're thinking, but there's a couple good nuggets that he's sharing, but what are we doing here? And they paused for a break about an hour later, and one of the guys walked by where, he was, where his Bible was open and realized that it was in Greek. And that he was translating as he was reading it. And that guy was Clarence Jordan that started what is now Habitat for Humanity. And so sometimes these outward appearances of these leaders, of these pastors, and some of the things that we may not quite get when we go deeper, we see some people. We see them differently and and I know that to be true about Dave. And I'm looking forward to in a couple weeks we're gonna share this time together. We're gonna talk about Celtic spirituality and we're gonna talk about how we can actually make some applications, that third part of a of a three point sermon of applying what we're hearing to our lives in some real ways for spiritual disciplines, so we can even get happier about being here. I think you said you were happy. Yeah, tell somebody. Get him here. Go ahead, Dan.
2: If you go back to Second Samuel and, and, and King David, and if you want to read that today, it's interesting. But the response that David gave was, "I will sacrifice to the Lord, my God, burnt offering. I will not sacrifice. It costs me nothing." Goes on to tell the story about David. his work and you taking on part of the work of the church so that he can be the spiritual leader.
0: Amen, oh, brother.
2: What David said. You will get the curse or the blessing but until you put that effort into it, your worship is false. That goes back to second Samuel.
0: Well, we could all go home now. Really good. Really good. Okay, just just for those that hadn't been with us before, this is the island that they're they're on, the Cyprus. You know that this is where they started out on their missionary journey. And now you can skip down on your notes to just above where it says John Mark, and it says that Barnabas now is beginning to live out this leadership philosophy. Remember what it is? Model it. Watch me do it. So now he has been modeling it in Antioch for that whole year, and now they're sent out. And he starts to model it, but now they've entered into that second level of leadership Mentoring it. Let's do it together. Let's do it together In fact in chapter 14 verse 1 it says now in Iconium they entered together And it's and it's very it's very key verse as this transition goes on that Barnabas is intentionally passing on the leadership to the next generation And unless we have an intentional passing on of leadership, it's going to be accidental at best. In the same way that evangelism, if evangelism is not intentional, it's going to be accidental at best. Unless we intentionally go out, as you say, let's go get them and bring them in, it's so great here. Unless we have that, then it's going to be accidental. And passing on of leadership is that way. So the first step, Barnabas has been saying, watch me do it, I'm going to model it. Now let's do it together. I'm going to be the mentor. I'm going to sit here and help you. And then he steps back and he motivates it. He he monitors it, rather. I'm I'm going to sit back. I'm going to to listen to you preach. I'm going to listen to you do what you do. And then I'm going to to monitor it. You and I are going to process it. And then after that, I'm I'm here if you need me. I'm here if you need me. I'm going to motivate it anytime you need it this is what passing on leadership is about this is what leadership is about we're seeing this now lived out in this narrative of watching barnabas pass on to paul what he needs to be doing Um, let's just finish the chapter verse 44 the next sabbath almost the whole city Gathered to hear the word of the Lord now the significance of that is that there are many places in the scriptures When it says all of whatever came out It's it's It doesn't mean that every person who is sitting in the ICU ward came out But here with the one real clear distinctive almost The whole city. That's probably pretty accurate. Why? Because the preaching of the word had been so good. They were learning things that they had never learned. They were being motivated. They were being inspired like they had never been before. And now they wanted to hear more and more, just like what Terry and others have been saying. And now notice that when these Now, there's some some jealousy that begins to get there in verse 45. They were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. Now, catch what's happening. Barnabas is saying, okay, I'm mentoring. You're going to be there, but I'm here with you. And now Paul is running into some problems. People are not responding. Now, notice what happened in verse 46. Right away, Barnabas got up. And he, he came back, and he's not going to let his protege die on the vine here. And this is one of the problems we have in leadership sometimes, is that we're not willing, when that person has a failure, to get beside him and pick him up and be supportive. And you see that Barnabas has not left. He's not just said, okay, it's all yours now. He's right there with him. And I think this is a very key concept about leadership, about how... Barnabas is helping Paul to move into this leadership. And notice that verse 47, that what do they do? They go back to the word of God. They go back to their word, which was the Old Testament, and said, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And what do you think the Gentiles did? You could have been a Gentile. They were rejoicing. They were glad. The
1: Gentiles
2: Yes. They were, they were five.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they are excited about this. Many were appointed to eternal life, and they believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. And you see what happens as a result of this preaching and this openness to that. Don't worry, he's not going to baptize you. <laughs> Okay, so I, th- I think you're getting a sense. Now, next week we're going to get into uh, uh, a couple of things with chapter 14. But I want you to, I think we gave you the sheets here, go a couple pages. And I want to just call your attention to, uh, I think anyway. The last three lines I think talked about, are we still looking to send out missionaries? Are we conscious of the dangers we send them into? And do we provide these furloughs for them? And what we're gonna talk about is that churches are to be planted. That the, the main emphasis of what Barnabas and Paul were sent to do, were not to do anything except plant churches. What do we send missionaries out to do? Now we maybe can plant a church by starting a school or a hospital or by teaching English as a second language. I I get those methodologies. But the purpose was to go plant churches. That's what missionaries are supposed to do, is go plant churches. And we need to be involved in that missionary planting of churches in everything that we do. That's where we're gonna talk about next week. We're gonna go that direction a little bit. Now, I'm employed by a ministry, meaning it's parachurch is, I believe, not a, a good theological term. Parachurch means you're outside of the church. Well, then how can somebody outside the church do anything about church? You're outside a para ministry and a local church ministry there are ministries that a church does by themselves and there are para ministries that are done by people who are the church i'm employed by a para ministry our our whole reason for existence is to equip churches to do what they're supposed to do that evangelistic disciple making planting of churches we're not to stay involved and we're not to stay in existence to keep ourselves employed we're not we're not there to do anything except help churches yeah we hope here's a couple thoughts for you about leadership as we kind of wrap up the types of leaders are often their leader because they got a title where they might have a certain role that they have required to but are they really a leader sometimes they have a status they're either old they have some degrees they have some wealth and one of the things that i i have liked about this church for the most part it's never nothing's ever perfect is that elders are not chosen only because they have money typically in churches that i consult with around the world Elders are elders for one of three, maybe four reasons. They're either old, meaning they may be the only ones that are left. (laughs) They have money. They're related to somebody. They're in some family. Sometimes they're even spiritual. The elders of the New Testament, they were definitely spiritual. And they tended to be a little older. At least they had to have some proof of the pudding in them. But we need, when we think about eldership and leadership in the church, it can't just be because of all those other things. Now, if, they're, if they meet the spiritual requirements and they have some of these other things, okay, there's, I mean, there's no problem. And here's the other thing that I notice in talking to churches. Is that elders, Dave and I and everybody that does ministry stuff we can go to seminaries and learn how to do ministry supposedly there's no elder school in the world how do you know how to be an elder who's training people to be elders and one of the things that I recommend to denominations is that they have an elder school and they train elders how to be elders and this is one of the things that I do is that I work with elder boards. I'm working with the church right now, and, and they're just saying, Oh my gosh, we, we don't know what to do. Well, that's that's okay. It's a good place to be. They're at least open to saying, Teach us and train us. And so these this eldership is not just because of those things. There's also people that sacrifice. And and think about the person in the military who just goes and lays down their life and they charge into the battle and they save somebody's life. They may not make a good leader, but for that moment, because what they're willing to lay down, and people are often put in leadership positions when they just should be the person who does the work in the kitchen or someplace in the ministry, they're the worker bee, but because they do the work, they get elevated to, there's leaders here that you get to sense. Character, sometimes people, they have great morality, and so they're they're elevated. And giftedness sometimes, they're pushed forward. And they have vision, they have wisdom. But a true leader probably has a little bit of many of these, if not all of them. And when we look to ordain those people in ministry, we need to look for more than just one category in leadership. This is what Barnabas was seeing in Paul. He saw rough edges, but he saw somebody that could go far. This is what we need to think about as we think about leadership. All right, last questions in the last moments we have? Yeah, Jim. Very good. Anybody else? I, I just want everyone here to know that our denomination does have elder training. Put well, us all at rest. There is elder training. <laughs> our state clerk doesn't. Very good. But whether or not a congregation, you know, is available. All right. Next week we're finishing this up, and then in two weeks we're doing You're going to know who the true St. Patrick was. It has much more to do than green beer. A man who literally took, we're going to take these principles and we're going to see them and work in his life. And how an Englishman, St. Patrick, you didn't know that, did you? He was an Englishman who went to Ireland. And then out of his ministry came St. Columba, who was an Irishman, who went to Scotland. And then St. Aidan, who was a Scot, went up back to England. And that circle went... And we're going we're gonna to learn about Celtic spirituality. We're actually going to practice a little bit. And the choir is going to join us. Some of them are. Uh, Dave Kinzel is going to join us a little bit for those three weeks. We're going we're to have a little bit of Celtic worship. And we're going to have some wonderful things to do. So we'll come back for all of these. Next week here, chapter 14 and then the 15. And then we're going to be for two weeks of stewardship. And then we've got three weeks of Celtic spirituality.
2: Real quick after that, just to- Don Guy was going to co-teach with Zeb, and I'm sorry I forgot to say he's a rabbi.